Thank you so much for joining us online again this week. Last Sunday, uh, during uh, in between one of our services, I had the privilege to meet one of you, one of our online viewers who actually lives in another state and watches our teaching every single week. I just want to say thank you for taking the time to invest in God's Word with us each week. It really does mean a lot to those of us who are working hard to film these and the crew that edits these when someone lets us know they're watching and that God is in fact using this resource to shape our community and share the grace of Jesus Christ in our community and other communities. So thank you for your encouragement. Now, believe it or not, the holidays are just around the corner, which means everybody has a million things to do. At least a lot of us do. Rich Fork also has several items just around the corner for our high school students, our women's ministry, family ministry, and our entire church community has an event called it a Community Christmas, which will be on December 10th. We'll continue to give you information on that event here and on our website. But there's so much just around the corner for us that instead of me running through a million dates with you, let me encourage you to head over to richfork.com slash events to explore the ministry opportunities that apply to you and to your family. There you will find information and be able to quickly sign up for the opportunities that meet the needs for you, for you as an individual, for your family, or for a couple of your family members. So again, thank you for viewing this content each week. It really does mean a lot to hear from you. Let's pray as we continue our study of the book of James. God, I come to you and thank you for this opportunity you give us each week to come and to share and to walk through your word together. Thank you for the many things that are just around the corner on our calendar. I pray that as people feel more comfortable to step into some of those events, um, God, that we will be prepared to, to meet them where they are spiritually. For some, it might be stepping into a women's event for the first time in a year and a half, almost two years. For others, it may be uh, as guests walking onto our property uh, on December 10th for the first time instead of simply online. Whatever the case, God, may we be ready to help them continue to grow so that they can join us in shaping our community by sharing the grace of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for your word and how it has been transforming me. And may I communicate that to those watching today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you had the opportunity for God to sit across the table from you at your kitchen table or a table at a coffee shop, I know that's a big thought, but, but if God were to just ask you, what is one thing, one thing that you would want? What could I give you? Now, many things run through my mind if that was that genie in a bottle moment that some would consider it. My first inclination would be purely selfish. I might think of a possession or a desire that I might want in my life. My second thought honestly circles around the immediate. No more COVID. No more impact on our community, our church, our nation, our world. And then I think about relationships or tensions in my life that, that may need healing or relief. God, if you could just make all those disappear. Then I stop and I really thought about the question. And this is a way that I might answer in that moment. 
God, if I could have one thing, would you bring an end to this world as we know it? And Jesus, come back, make all things new so that we can worship you, serve you forever with no pain, no tears, no brokenness, no fear. What about you? What would you, in all honesty, ask God for if you had that moment and that question? What can I give you? There's a moment where Solomon, the son of David, one of the kings of Israel, the story is found in the Old Testament of the Bible. Solomon is asked this question by God. What shall I give you? And while Solomon would go on to have great possessions and riches and honor, his initial response to this question from God is one that should challenge us. Scripture records it this way. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. You have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on the throne this day referencing himself. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in the place of David my father, although I'm a little child, and I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this, your great people. If you rewind, you might notice what he asks for. It's not possessions, it's not wealth, it's not fame. He says, give your servant an understanding mind to lead your people. This story is recorded in 2 Chronicles as well, and it says, give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and lead this multitude of people. Solomon, out of all the things he could ask for, says, God, give me wisdom. Essentially, he's saying, I've inherited an overwhelming task. I need insight. I need to be able to know what is right from wrong, good from bad. I need to be able to discern and put decisions into action, that is all I'm asking for. A thousand plus years later, James, our beloved brother, who is leading us to grow up in our faith, in chapter one wrote these words, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Essentially, King Solomon, James, Proverbs, Psalms are full of writings and sayings and statements urging us as readers, me and you, pursue wisdom. We define wisdom in week two of our study as this. Wisdom is the ability to view life from God's perspective. Today, I would like to add to that definition in light of James chapter 3, 13 through 18, where we are going to see wisdom is 
active. It is impacting, it is guiding our relationships, our decisions, our thoughts, and even our motives. Wisdom in action is applying godly knowledge to our relationships, our decisions, our actions, and even our reactions. If last week we could have titled it Words That Lead to Action, then this week is Wisdom That Leads to Impact. Read along with me, verse 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James is painting two distinct portraits of wisdom for us. One portrait of wisdom is led by the world. The other wisdom is led by God. Wisdom of the world will have certain results. Wisdom of God will have a clear but vastly different outcome on our relations, our actions, and our decisions. If you were to walk into an art gallery and it was completely empty except for two contrasting portraits, one on one side of the room and one on the other, On one side, you have a portrait, a man who is clearly full of anger, strife, possibly vindictive, and and just quite honestly, ominous. The shadows in the imagery portray someone to whom I would not want to trust or follow. The opposite is quite true of the other side of the gallery. A portrait, a man who appears to be gentle, calm, welcoming, ready to listen. The light and the colors of the image portray a person that I would probably be quick to trust and talk with over a cup of coffee. Both of these pictures, when you see them side by side, it makes the differences even more significant. If I were to ask you, which one of these would you desire to follow or on the surface, not asking a ton of questions, but just based on the portrait, I happen to believe most of you watching would say, I'll take my lens off of being skeptical of just that quick question and quick display, and I'd choose wise over the self. I would choose the wise picture, the the light, the smile, the gentle, the welcoming over the self, the questioning. Vindictive, harsh. For the rest of our time in James 3, 13 through 18, I want to unpack the drastic contrast between wisdom led by desire of self and the world versus wisdom from above led by God and how both pursuits impact our relationships with others. Wisdom in action is applying godly knowledge 
to our relationships, our decisions, our actions, and our reaction. What is godly wisdom? How do we differentiate between the knowledge and the insight of the world versus wisdom and insight given to us by God's word? Wisdom from above. Before we outline godly wisdom, according to James, James is going to show us what godly wisdom is not. Verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, it is unspiritual, it is demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. James outlines these characteristics of worldly wisdom. Wisdom produced by the world is jealous and it is selfish. Wisdom, insight from the world, has the perspective of self as the end goal. The first question that you could evaluate this with is in asking and making decisions in relationships according to the world would be this. What's in it for me? What can I get out of this? How will this benefit? How will I benefit? Do they have something that I want? And what will I have to do to get it? The driving force behind the decision-making process, according to the world, is run through the funnel of me. It is driven, according to James, by jealousy. And jealousy begins with full hands, but it is threatened by the thought of losing what it possesses. It's also threatened by and characteristic by selfish ambition. It begins with empty hands. It grieves for what it does not have. On the one hand, I don't want to feel threatened by someone who might try to take away something from me. But self-ambition is driven by longing to have what I don't have. Worldly wisdom, it is consumed with comparison. Worldly wisdom produced by the world creates lies about the truth. Verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Simplified, let me summarize this idea from James this way. If you were to have a ruler which is designed and it is exactly one foot in length, 12 inches, but if you begin to build a new home or put together a project and Or if I did, and I just decided to create a new measurement system where a foot is now 13 inches, it would be a disaster. The entire system of the building is built upon standards of measurement that are not questioned, they're not doubted, they're not recreated. Why? Because they are a standard of truth. James is leading us to evaluate that if we're trying to evaluate and make a decision in a dating relationship or a financial decision, if we're attempting to justify a past decision, we can easily justify the decision by changing the standard of truth. We can explain passages of Scripture away and claim that the Bible is just outdated or irrelevant to the time. At that moment, we are shifting the standard. We are creating our own measurement of what is good and evil, right and wrong, 
But the problem comes when everyone has their own standard of measurement, morality, decisions, direction. Then the collapse occurs. Everyone is wrong, but no one is wrong. Worldly wisdom, wisdom takes the truth of God's word, manipulates, massages it to fit our emotions, our selfish ambition and jealousy. Then we are left with what James says is disorder, chaos, and every vile practice. Remember, this passage is not James looking at those outside the church He's not condemning unbelievers, non-believers for their unwise decisions. On the contrary, he's imparting godly wisdom to Christ followers who are scattered. They're searching for spiritual insight. They're searching for growth and wisdom. James is speaking to followers of Christ who were needing to carefully evaluate where, whom, what was guiding their decisions, what was leading them in their direction and their actions. James says in verse 15 that wisdom produced by the world is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. By now, eight weeks into our study of James, we should not be taken back by the direct statement of James, his directness. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians said this about the wisdom of this world. When he said, they set their mind on earthly things. Worldly wisdom places feelings over faith. It is built on thoughts, philosophies, and thinking which are contrary to God's word. Worldly wisdom champions the phrase, if it feels good, do it. The song which may be a favorite of some of yours even watching My Way by Frank Sinatra ends with these words. In reality, it gives you a glimpse into the wisdom of the world. For what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. Not to say the things that he truly feels and not the words of someone who kneels. Let the record show I took all the blows and I did it my way. Great for you, Frank. You said what you wanted. You didn't pray. You didn't take a knee. You did it your way. That's the heart of the wisdom of the world. My way, my influence. The drive is things based on this earth. The decisions are based upon how does this benefit me? That is not what Solomon asked for. That's a portrait defined by self. Truth from James, though, is this. When wisdom from the world drives our relationships, drives our decisions and actions and reactions, then our lives are characterized, according to James, by chaos, disorder, and evil. And unfortunately, without a relationship to Jesus Christ, this is our sinful nature. It is who we are. This is each of us. I've stated before and several times from the platform or pulpit at Rich Fork, I don't have to teach a child to disobey. You don't have to teach your children that have siblings to fight. You don't have to teach me to be jealous or prideful. You don't have to guide someone into lust. We don't have to offer classes in school on how to lie. 
Why? We're sinful. Left to our own wisdom, we will make decisions based on what benefits me, what standards do I need to bend to justify, and in the end, the benefit is what? Chaos. The outcome is chaos, destruction, pain, and every vile practice. That is what godly wisdom is not. The portrait I want to leave you with is outlined by James so beautifully. Wisdom in action is applying godly knowledge to our relationships, decisions, actions, and reactions. So how does godly wisdom act? How does it behave? How does it examine? How does it make decisions? Verse 17 and 18. In just two verses, he gives us a beautiful description. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The portrait James paints of worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom is drastic in opposition to each other. Rightfully so, the wording of verse 17 and 18, just by reading those verses, you can sense a wave of difference in the two pursuits of wisdom. Let's look at the characteristics that James points out, godly wisdom. Wisdom from God is pure. It is untainted. It is not blemished by the impurity of evil or immorality. It's absent of selfish ambition, not a hint of jealousy. It is pure in motive and in action. The intention of the heart is pure, leading to actions and decisions which echo the heart of God. Wisdom from God is peace-filled, and it is peace-giving. I've confessed to you that I love tulips in my yard. I try to plant them every fall, and I'm about to do that soon. I'll plant them, wait five or six months, and I'll get two to three weeks of beautiful color when they bloom. It's a quick season, but to me, it's magnificent and worth it. But if you don't prepare the soil, if I don't plant the tulips and take care when the stalks are beginning to spring out of the ground, then there's nothing to enjoy. When wisdom is planted from God's word, through godly counsel, through guidance, then peace has the opportunity to spring into my decisions and out of me and into my life. You might say, well, pastor, I'm just not a calm or a peaceful person by nature, and you would be 100% correct. We are by nature argumentative, filled with anxiety, quarrelsome, quick-tempered, and we lean toward a life filled with chaos. But if we take wisdom, then peace can begin to prevail in our daily lives. And instead of chaos and confusion, we leave peace in the wake. A couple questions to ask about your relationships, do they bring peace? Do you leave peace, harmony, and joy when you leave a conversation or a relationship? Or do you stir up controversy or create peace? 
if you want to evaluate the side of wisdom that you are on or lean towards, worldly wisdom versus and self, evaluate your relationships, your actions, your decisions. Are you impacting those relationships with peace, harmony, and joy? James continues in verse 17. He says, wisdom from God is gentle. I could try to explain this on my own, but this quote says it all from William Barclay. He says this, the man who is gentle is the man who knows when it is actually wrong to apply the strict letter of the law. He knows how to forgive when strict justice gives him a perfect right to condemn. He knows how to make allowances when not to stand upon his rights how to temper injustice with mercy and always remembers that there are greater things in the world than rules and regulations. Wisdom from God is gentle. It's characterized by mercy over judgment. Being willing to forgive and reconcile is more important than just being able to say or write. Gentle wisdom is considerate. James gives us more characteristics of this godly wisdom. It is reasonable. When godly wisdom leads us, James says we are open to reason. Now, this is not a sacrificing of our beliefs or principles. Rather, it's having the ability to know when is it right to lead. Listen to this. Godly wisdom gives us the, um, gives us the belief, gives us the assurance to know when is it right to lead. And when is it best to follow? Willing to yield or hold back my desires in certain decisions. I know there's a lot, but there's more from James. Wisdom from God is merciful and it produces good fruit. Mercy is looking upon a person, a situation, a moment in life and exercising compassion when someone deserves punishment. The world in those moments when someone is down, when someone is defeated in life, wisdom led by the world, what is best for me, jumps on the injured, jumps on the defeated, and pummels the downtrodden. If you watch a football game, there are moments when a tackle is made and the runner is down and there's a few people there and and then all of a sudden this 325-pound lineman comes crashing down on top of the pile. And I think, and I even say out loud, How do you get up from under that weight? In our relationships and actions as Christ followers, we should not be the last one to jump on top of the pile when a believer has sinned and is covered in shame and guilt and disgrace. Godly wisdom, even when punished is possible and necessary, reaches down and picks up the wounded, weeps with the broken, and displays compassion. That is is faith with action in our relationship. That is wisdom that takes action. Wisdom from God is impartial and sincere. This idea from James is the sense of not taking sides, yet never sacrificing the principles, the the loyalty to the things of God. In verse 17, the word for sincerity can be translated non-hypocritical, 
in this time period, in the Greek theater, an actor would play multiple roles. And the only difference would be they would not have a lot of actors. The actor would go off the stage and come back on. They would have a different costume and a different mask. And if the actor was playing something and presenting themselves as humorous, the mask would have a smile. A sad role would have a frown or a tear. James is saying godly wisdom is not hiding behind various masks, pretending to be something that you're not. Wisdom is sincere. It is open. It is honest. What you see is what you get. Not in a boastful manner, as already warned against earlier, but a transparent follower of Jesus, pursuing right decisions, placing peace in relationships, delivering mercy and hope into a broken world. When wisdom from the world drives our relationships, quick flashback, actions, reactions, then our lives are characterized by chaos, disorder, and evil. James has delivered quite the opposite in these two verses. Godly wisdom leads to relationships, decisions, actions, and reactions that produce peace, harmony, and joy. Two drastically different portraits or images of wisdom in James. What about your self-portrait? Would it depict a person characterized by peace, gentleness, joy, humility, meekness, serving one another? Or would it be a glimpse of selfish ambition, conceit, and lack of care for others? Wisdom, according to James, is not merely information, but it is action built on God's word that impacts our relationships, our decisions, our actions, and reactions. Solomon, a thousand years before James, wrote and recorded these words in his conversation in his dream when asked from God, what do you want? He said, God, I'm facing a situation that is greater than I can handle. I know I'm going to struggle to lead this large group of people. I place my relationships, decisions, my actions, I give it to you. Give me understanding to not only know what is right, but to do what is right. Solomon says, give me wisdom from above. James says, pursue wisdom from above. So how does this teaching impact your relationships, your roles, your decisions, your direction? May we come to God and ask, above all, God, give me wisdom. What I want to do in closing is use Solomon's cry for wisdom as a, an outline of source, sorts for your prayers for wisdom today. I want to encourage you to take this simple formula, the fill in the blanks, and begin to ask God to give you wisdom in specific areas of your life, specific decisions, relationships, roles, direction. So here we go, the pursuit of godly wisdom. Take these phrases and fill in the blanks with me. You have placed me, God, you have placed me in this relationship, in this role, in this position, as a teacher, as a spouse, uh, as a coworker, with, and then name the person or the situation at home, work, school, name the school, name the situation. Be clear about your situation. Solomon was. 
This is the situation he was facing. God, you've placed me in this relationship role in this position. Name the position with this person at this place. Then continue. I need godly wisdom in handling a person, a decision, something that's coming up immediately, something that may be in the future that you're examining, that you're thinking about. Don't hesitate to be specific, to be precise in your struggle. And then our prayer becomes, God, I surrender my way for your wisdom. God, I surrender my desires, my preferences, and I lean into your wisdom. And finally, God, I will seek wisdom from your word and act upon godly wisdom. You see, we can talk about wisdom all day. We can kind of leave it out there, hanging out there, wondering how do we do this? But James says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom is action, words in action, faith with action, all of these working together to shape our community by sharing the grace of Jesus Christ. Let me pray with us and come back to that prayer and that follow-up for today. God, be with us as we pursue godly wisdom. We covered a lot of ground, but it only really is a few verses, but there's so much there. Each person watching could take these and go online and use tools and break this down every single day this week. So God, I pray where there's more depth that needs to be that is probe the heart of someone that they go for it. For those who've never realized that there is a difference in the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God, that today they would see the difference. They would weigh it. They would examine it. You would lead them to your wisdom. And God, may we take action upon your word today. In Jesus' name. So let me repeat those four phrases from above. God, you have placed me in this relationship role, this position, blank, whatever the role is, with the name of the person at the school, uh, the name, your address, your place of employment. Then be specific with the struggle. I need godly wisdom in handling this with that person, with this decision, with this moment coming up. I surrender my way for your wisdom. And I will seek your wisdom from your word and act and act upon godly wisdom. Thank you so much for taking time to watch. More importantly, thank you for taking time to act upon godly wisdom.